Welcome to Hughes of Leadership Podcast, where we dive deep into the many prominent aspects of leadership. How does leadership show up in each of us? And how do we seek to have a positive influence on the lives of others? Just like hues vary, so does how we show up as leaders and how we may flex different hues depending on the moment, the task at hand, or the individual or team we're engaging. What hues are you using today and which will you seek to further develop? I'm your host, DJ Menifee, Chief Enrollment Officer at Susquehanna University and also the Chief Impact Officer for Menifee Duarte Consulting Group. And I look forward to diving into the hues of leadership with our guest. In season one, we'll focus on people of influence, specifically those that have had a major impact on my leadership lens and philosophy. So it is an honor to not only acknowledge and recognize and celebrate today's guests, but to have them here on our show. Today's guest is one of our first leaders, one of my first leaders in higher education and one of my first mentors. He's over 30 years of experience in higher education currently with the registry supporting institutions of higher education through interim chief enrollment officer positions, most recently at Chicago State, and soon the transition to West Liberty in the new year. To our guest, I welcome Bill Sliwa. How you doing, Bill? I'm doing well, thank you, DJ. It is my honor to join you in this endeavor. We all both believe that the mentorship is a big part of our profession and growing the future leaders of our profession. I'm honored that you have chosen to take on this task, but also honored to be a part of this task. Fantastic. Well, and, and to our guests who may not know our history, today's guest, I would say, simply impacts my leadership because this Bill is one of the first people who just simply gave me a shot. Bill gave me a chance, uh, an opportunity to have an impact in this profession back when I didn't even really know that it was a profession. And since that opportunity was presented to me, I've never turned back. And I'm sure that there are many others who who may share similar sentiments that have had the opportunity to connect with Bill over his tenure in this profession. Uh, but Bill, it, it, it's an honor from the day that, that you offered me an opportunity to be an assistant director of admission at Lees McCray College. Uh, and I'm quite mindful that that the journey that I've had in my career, uh, it wouldn't be possible without you. So I'm just just grateful to have you on the show. I'm grateful you to have you in my life as a mentor. Thank you very much. I'm grateful to have you in my life as well. So listen, Bill and, and audience, uh, buckle up. Uh, it's going to be a great conversation today. Uh, Bill and I had a chance to connect prior to the show just to make sure we were on the same page as far as, you know, what Hughes, Hughes leadership that, that Bill wanted to discuss with us today. Uh, and I would say each of which are uh, thought provoking uh, and each of which I'm excited to dive into today. And so we're going to get started with the first hue. Uh, the first hue is no one knows how much you know until they know how much you care. And I'm sure members of our audience have heard that uh, before. But but Bill, I'm curious if you would unpack that in terms of what does that mean for you and, and that mantra, uh, but also how has that shown up in your day to day leadership? Sure, DJ. You know, I, I take the, I can't take the credit for that saying. I actually think it goes all the way back to Teddy Roosevelt, but I became aware of it when I was working for Coach Johnny Majors when I was a college football coach in my former life. And one of the things that happens on a college campus, as you're aware, is every single year the students are different. They're the same age, and you're a year older. And that also happens with your staff as well. And you may come in as the new coach, as the new vice president, as the new director, whatever level you're coming in at, you have a knowledge base, but the knowledge base may only be known to the hiring committee. 
And those that you need to mentor, teach, coach, and encourage along don't really know yet what you know. And a lot of times they really don't care yet until you take the time to make sure they understand that their best interests are at your heart and you're going to look out for the people because I truly believe that if you look out for the people first and you take the time all the way from Donna Ballard in the back room to anybody in the front room, if you take the time to take care of and understand the individual needs of the people, then you're going to be able to communicate more efficiently with them you're going to be able to get more out of them by understanding where they come from and what motivates them and kind of what their path is. And also just constantly paying attention to the environment around you because things are constantly changing for your staff members. All of a sudden, for all you know, one of them is going to be a first time father or one of them is going to all of a sudden going through something in their personal life. And if you're not knowledgeable of the outside world and how it's impacting your team and letting them know that you care, you're never going to get them out of Maslow of food and shelter and move them to a place where they can self-actualize and become successful. Shout out to Donna Ballard over at least, <laughs> um, but also uh, a shout out in, in terms of what you've shared I can step in and live into some of those thoughts, given I, I was a, a new to soon to be father uh, in the time that I was transitioning as an assistant director uh, at Lee's McRae with you at the helm. I wanted to ask a follow up question, Bill, because yes. I think it would be helpful for the audience. It's, it's one thing to unpack what you said in terms of showing your direct reports that you care. Right. The folks that that you're um, working, quote unquote, in battle with on a weekly or day to day basis. Depending on the size of the team, what does that look like and how does that show up when it's not the team that you work most closely with, but they are within your division or they are a couple of uh, leader positions down? Absolutely. You know, as we grow in our positions, our responsibilities grow and the crossover of who we work with grows as well. So as a director, one might be working closely alongside maybe a financial aid person or somebody from a registrar's office. But once one moves into the bigger role of enrollment management, you have student development, you have athletics, you have the president who is your boss and the board of trustees, that is his boss. And that distinction between those two things is very, very critical. You may have to work with a provost on a project you're working on. And if you, if people believe because you're genuine, genuine always shows out and you care about the students, you care about the institution, you've got a much easier path towards trying to get some of the things that need to be accomplished, accomplished, because instead of pulling in different directions, everybody's on the same page because they know at the same day, everybody cares about the institution and everybody is pulling in the same direction. So I think, at least in my mind, it plays out that these these threads are going to connect here when I roll into hue number two. Hue <laughs> number two for our audience is what you see is what you teach. Hear this one or fail to correct. So please enlighten us. This was one of my favorites when I when I seen what you're thought. <laughs> I can't wait for this one. And so again, share with us what you mean by that and, and so, how so you know again that principle goes back to my coaching life. And again, Coach Majors, man was an incredible influence on me. He never yelled at the players during practice. 
He would walk by a drill, and if he didn't like the way something was going, his comment would be, Coach Sliwa, how can you not get DJ Menifee to do that the right way? And trust me, the players got the message. Because the minute he walked away after he just yelled at you, you're going to correct things. But DJ, you and I both know you you were a Division II basketball player. You would have done something in practice, and it just goes uncorrected. And we see young admissions people all the time that will do something, and we just don't take the time to correct it at the time because we think it's minimal. And then those minimal things turn into bigger things and turn into bigger things there. The other thing that happens is someone comes in and you hire, you interview them, and they were at a prior institution different than Susquehanna or different than Lee's McRae or different than Maryville College. And you make an assumption that they already have a knowledge about the working functions of college enrollment and the way you want things to be done. And that assumption is just not correct because you may be interested in having them do certain tasks and duties in a different way. You know, one great example of how this plays out is, um, you know, we grew up in the day when we still called prospects and we, and we still ask people to call prospects, but Hey, I want you to call these 10 kids tonight. Oh, okay. Hey, I want you to call these 10 kids and here's why. And here's the open-ended conversation and the script to have with those families. Because, you know, from when you were being recruited, if you call without a purpose, hey, I'm just calling to say hi. That could be one thing. But if you call with a purpose of, DJ, I noticed you haven't been to campus yet. Can you get your calendar out with your mom and dad? And can we set a date now? There's a totally different outcome for those things. So I think along the way, you know, no one comes to, in my opinion, no one shows up at work one day thinking I'm going to screw up. But it's how we react at leadership levels when there is a mistake, when there is a misstep. I always step back and say, this is a teachable moment and it's on me. Did I teach them well enough or did they simply make a mistake on something I taught them because perhaps I didn't teach it the right way? So always go back to technique, technique, technique. You know, oh, my God, I can't believe, man, he just made 19 points last night. His elbow was off on every single shot, but I'm not going to correct that. Well, why? We have to take the time to correct things when we see them. And I know you're raising children, so you know all about this. Why is that happening? Have you taught them any other way? And it goes all the way into our adult life. There's always an opportunity and I think that we have a responsibility being on a college campus, but also being human beings to be mentors, teachers, coaches, and be able to positively correct things when we see them in a non-threatening and in a non-challenging way. Because if I come in and young DJ makes a mistake on something and I start screaming and yelling at him, I've got three days worth of your stomach being in knots, you not wanting to show up to work the next day, you going home and worrying about it. Instead of sitting down and saying, talk to me about how you came to this. Well, I, I did this. Oh, okay. You know, I never really went over that with you. Here's how we really should handle this instead. What are your thoughts? What do you think? And I think you just get so much better results by constantly taking that approach of what happened, why it happened, and did I teach it? or not and correcting the little things there's little stuff that happens every day that we just let go by 
and it just adds up. So, as you know, I'm over here irking for a follow-up question, <laughs> and it and it's based on you know the experiences that whether I've had, you have had in your amazing career, or some of our listeners have had or maybe having currently. You know, can you walk us through navigating instances where you are trying to coach, mm-hmm. are trying to make the the mid game adjustment, right? And you sense some resistance to the coaching, to yes. the screening, to the development. What does that look like from your leadership perspective? Sure, you know, and that that'll happen frequently because people were previously coached, taught, trained how to do a certain task. And it may be as simple as saying, talk to me about how you learned how to approach this. And let me share with you how I like to approach this. And let's figure out how together we can come up with a way that's going to get me what I need and give you the opportunity to grow and learn different ways of doing things. You find that a lot when you inherit staffs uh, that have been around a long time. You know, I didn't add this as one of the tenants, but it's another favorite billism of mine. You only know what you know, and it's not your fault you don't know something else. It's just you have not been taught that yet. So if this is the way they know to do it, and it's not the most efficient anymore, or it's not the way you feel is going to get the results you want. It's not chastising them for doing it that way. It's simply presenting to them alternative pathways about other ways to do it. And a lot of times staff members have thought through how they'd like to do it differently, but they didn't feel empowered to do it. Or they tried to do something differently. It was a great idea. I mean, we both come in from the outside consulting and go, what a great idea. Yeah, it didn't work. Well, why? Well, you and I both know it got implemented horribly. So the implementation process is a big part of it. And there's, there's, there's a trash can full of great ideas that just get implemented wrong. And then they get thought to be bad ideas. You just pulled through some bonus tracks for our audience, <laughs> not only in terms of if I'm working backwards under the, the realms of leadership, the value of implementation, implementing something uh, timely and correctly and, and effectively and efficiently, but you also wove into that this notion of there's not one right answer absolutely not one way to the goal you, you you clearly acknowledge that they may have alternative pathways or you're recognizing alternative pathways to get there absolutely yeah. you know, dj a couple of years ago about six years ago i was doing an interim assignment at alfred university and they had not yet put their crm in but they did have a, a sis system and they were still using folders and they were putting copies of the admit letter inside the folder. And I said to them, I said, what's the copy of the letter for? Well, we might need that. Like, okay, what if we saved it as a PDF and attached it to their file? Then if we ever did need it, we could simply just print it off and then we could save money on print. I guess we could do that. Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> so we're going to transition to our third hue. Uh, and that last hue for our listeners today is, if it is to be, then it is up to me. Talk to us. So that's meant for not only me as an individual, but that's meant to teach and have that mindset of every single staff member, every single part, every single person of the organization. 
If something is to be and it needs to be done, sometimes it just has to be up to you to do it. I'll give you a great example of that that'll be near and dear to your heart. I was walking around the campus of Lee's McRae one time and the trash cans were in just the most horrible shape. They looked outdated. They looked rusted. There was trash laying around campus and I just started to pick it up. And then later when I was at Maryville College, the president would laugh because on a morning of open house, I'd walk around with a trash with a bag picking up cans or picking up whatever. Bill, what are you doing? I said, well, our showroom has a major event starting in an hour and I've got to make sure it looks right. And it's a little bit more along the lines that nothing is too small of a task as a leader to not think that you need to be part of doing it yourself instead of just picking up the phone and going, hey, I need this done. Because they may not have the time, the resources, or the understanding of why or what you want done. And if everybody takes that attitude of if this is, if this is to be, then singularly, it's up to me. You get such great ownership of things that people are very motivated to take a part of their individual little day. You know, you and I both know there's been times when we had to give a tour. Everybody else was gone. They're on the road. And okay, that's part of your job. And, you know, one of my presidents that was my greatest mentor, Joe Gibson at Maryville College, who passed away last year, his, one of his favorite sayings was, there's a, those that want to be and those that want to do. And there are people, you've met them. There are people who just want to be a president, be a vice president. But there are those that have a passion and a lifelong conviction that this is the work I want to do is as the vice president or as the provost. And those are the people that are successful. So talk to me about in your in your journey as a leader, specifically within the context of higher education, how you balanced your leadership role in all of the technical responsibilities that came along with being a VP mm-hmm. and when you would make the adjustment to be on the ground, boots rocking with the team. Like, how did you balance that? Sure. So, you know, a lot of times it's funny because people in the interview process or in the uh, vetting process will talk about, you know, are you a roll up your sleeves guy? Oh, we all think we are. But when you identify challenges, And notice I did not use the word problem because there's a huge difference between problem and challenges. Sometimes it needs your thought to get them out of where the backlog is. You know, why are we sitting on 4,000 incomplete applications? Well, we're still waiting, you know, whatever it is. And then rolling up, so to speak, the sleeves and helping to solve through the problem and push people along and, and pull people along sometimes, but showing that, again, no job is too small and the appreciation for that. And also, I think it gives you a good view into what they need. Sometimes they're missing a piece of of technology. You know, oh, my God, you guys don't have parchment? I can solve this problem tomorrow for you. You don't have a document imaging? I can solve that for you. Oh, my gosh. Why didn't you tell me you needed a new printer? So the more you're willing to put yourself around all the various roles, the more you're, the more capable you are of seeing where the challenges are for those people. And, you know, it goes back to the process that I don't believe we motivate people 
we provide a pathway for them to motivate themselves by removing all the barriers that are in place for them to reach self-actualization and be motivated. So the, the, the lower down into the operations or into whatever, you're always going to be able to learn more about where the challenges are. And then at the top level, be able to address those challenges in the most significant way across campus, because sometimes you may see something that's going to require an investment. And now I've got to go sit with my CFO over breakfast and say, Dana, you got to help me solve this problem. We got a little bit, but the money I'm asking you for, you know, one thing I learned very quickly is don't go ask the president and CFO for money unless you have an ROI and a plan of what you're going to do with it. It's a lot easier to do that when you understand it yourself and you're explaining it to other cabinet members yourself. I'm sure you've been through PBAC or whatever it's called on your campus, the President's Budget Advisory Committee or whatever. When you go in with something that's tangible, that's going to increase the student experience, increase net revenue, increase whatever, then you got a much better chance of achieving those objectives that you're looking to achieve. Correct. So for our audience, I, I've, I hope today you brought your pen and paper I hope you've been taking notes because there's so much opportunity here to either A, assess where you are and, and the ways in which you implemented the, the nuggets that we've discussed today or the hues that we've discussed today, but also if there are ones that, that you haven't quite grasped yet, uh, but it's a work in progress. It's a great opportunity to kind of to time in and, and, and to move these forward. So as a reminder, the wisdom that was dropped today was the value of caring for those in your care, what you see and what you teach or fail to correct. And if it is to be, then it is up to me, which, again, isn't just about the leader, but it's also about every individual uh, that is a part of that team or part of that organization. So, Bill, as we transition to uh, the end of our conversation, uh, this is one of my favorite questions for our guests. And so one or a have you recently again, somebody of uh, your journey who's been a leader for over 30 years? Has there been something you've been exposed to recently that? That is kind of this new realm or, or new theme of leadership that you haven't quite tapped into yet. Or oh, absolutely. Hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> or, or is there something you would want to share with the audience where you say, while I have been a, a blessed to be a leader for this long, this is one of those areas that I still struggle with. And it's a work in progress, but I want to continue to work on it. So which one you want to go with today? So I, I think we can kind of go both because they tie themselves together a little bit. You know, when this uh, thing in 2019 started, I did not really understand the way the digital world worked. I have one digital account and it's called LinkedIn. I don't have TikTok. I don't, and you're not shocked by it, right? I don't have Facebook. I don't have LinkedIn. I don't have any of that stuff. But I had to quickly, quickly first be able to recognize that, oh my gosh, I don't know the first thing about this. And secondly, seek out people to help me understand how important it is in the world of our profession as we evolve through the last couple of years. And I think it goes back to, you know, everybody has a blind spot. You know why it's called that? Because we don't know it's there. So if you can ever get somebody to help you find your blind spot, then it tells you some of the things you need to work on. The challenge part of it goes back to, again, staying current and understanding the differences and nuances of each institution. I just spent a year at Chicago State University. It's the first time I ever worked for a state institution. And it happens to be in a state where government regulations are a little 
different than a lot of other places. So I need to do something instead of just talking to my business manager or my office manager and say, hey, how do we do this? I had to learn about how to do that within the state of Illinois before I could even do it on my own campus. So it was that learning curve. And once again, though, the lesson that came back that always comes back is find those people who are behind the scenes that know how to do things and let them guide you, regardless of the fact that they might have a title of an administrative assistant. They're more knowledgeable a lot about a lot of policies and procedures than you're ever going to be. So it's just always staying open to being a learner, always staying open to learning about new technologies, new procedures, new whatever, and knowing that those are the things you have to work on. And, and as an individual, the one thing that I've had to work on over the last couple of years is college campuses have evolved an awful lot since when I first started. And there's so many social and economic differences, more social than anything. You know, there, five years ago, you didn't read an essay that had pronouns in it. And understanding why that's important to that person and understanding why an applicant may express themselves in certain ways and being open to understanding where their worldview comes from as a 17-year-old. Because again, as I said at the beginning, every year we get a year older and they stay the same age. And if you do not understand what television shows they're watching, what books they're reading, what influencers are around them, you're never going to be able to effectively communicate with that person. That's quite a way to to close. And and in case the audience uh, was too busy writing notes, I want to highlight some threads for you. Lifelong learning, um, the value of continuing to learn, knowing and recognizing that we never quite make it at at perfection because our space, regardless of what industry you're in, is uh, always ever evolving. And also this notion of, of being able to be open and receptive to variation, to be receptive to difference, um, to be receptive to somebody else's worldview. And so, and, you know, DJ, one last thing I want to add. Last week, Mike Leach passed away and he was just such a pioneer in the world of college football. And I was watching a ton of interviews and one of the people that interviewed him frequently talked about and I actually found out it's a book. So I ordered it. I did not know this was a book, but it's called Be Where Your Feet Are. It's all about being present in the moment. You may be on your way to a senior cabinet meeting with the board of trustees and run into a student who wants to talk to you about something. You know what? Be there. Be present. Be where your feet are. Don't start thinking about the next appointment you have or the next task you have seven minutes before while you're still engaged with a staff member on something critically important. So, so simple. Just be where your feet are. Be present. Be in the moment. So many times we want to think ahead to what's next that we forget to be in the moment. And I've taken his last 28 minutes and just have thoroughly enjoyed being in the moment with someone who I was fortunate enough to meet when he was much younger and and not that much, just a little younger, but be present, be in the moment all the time. And you won't be seen as always standoffish or running off to the next idea or whatever, because you just never know what you're going to miss if you're not in the moment. The value of being present. Well, Bill, listen, I want to make sure that I, I thank you for our conversation, for your friendship, for your mentorship, uh, and into the future, because I'm going to continue to pick your brain and be a sponge Absolutely. Um, as I continue to learn and navigate this space uh, in my own journey and in my own way. But I want to thank you for your time. And I can't wait for our audience to just hear uh, what leadership looks like through your lens. 
Great. Thank you very much, DJ. It's great to see you again. Likewise. And to our guests, uh, as you transition to work or home from work, as you head into lunch or you're transitioning between meetings, and if you're doing that, make sure you are mindful of the moment, as Bill referenced. As you transition into professional development time you have, whether it's each day or each week, or as you transition in between work and time with your loved ones, let's reflect on and consider incorporating the hues in our lives that we learned about today. Thanks for tuning in the Hues of Leadership podcast. Remember to ask yourself, what hues will I use today? and which will I seek to further develop. Thank you.